Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski, and special guest host, Brutus the Squishmallow. A little backstory on Brutus. You may just be like, oh, this is a cute Squishmallow, and if you're an actual Squishmallow fan, you may recognize the template. The outside is Jason the Donkey, but actually a fun fact, this is a special edition Knott's Berry Farm 100th anniversary Squishmallow known as Brutus the Donkey. Have I been to Knott's Berry Farm? No. Did I think about going? Yes. Did I really want to go about a month ago? Yes. Did I decide not to go? Slash, my dad convinced me it probably wasn't the best idea to go because there would be long lines. Yes, so I do still want to go. That all being said, to celebrate their 100th anniversary, they released a special limited edition Squishmallow known as Brutus the Donkey. They also released a Boysenberry Squishmallow, which I also have. How did I get these you have? Slash, why? Well, I may or may not have purchased them on eBay, probably slightly marked up from the sellers, although I do think, because I like deeply went into a rabbit hole one night, um, that you had to like pay a certain amount of money and a certain amount, you had to play a certain amount of games and like get stamps on your card in order to get the Squishmallow. So it wasn't just like a single prize from a game, but it was like a series of events you had to do. So like minimum spend just on the games from what I was reading on the Reddit boards, because I'm crazy, was like 30, 40 bucks and may or may not have spent like $70 on this. And you might be like, wow, that's insane to spend that on a stuffed animal. And like, maybe it is, but it's not just a stuffed animal. It's commemorating the anniversary of a very special place that I have never been to, but I'm hoping to go this year. It is just a mere, you know, 45 minutes away from me in Anaheim. So I'm hoping that Brutus brings a little bit of joy to your day as, a, as our co-host, though he's going to go back uh, and do his thing. What else is new with you guys? Also for the visual listeners, um, check out this fun sweater, which I found on the recommendation of the lovely Rachel Verona Cote, a previous guest of the show, a mentor of mine who's a nonfiction writing class I took last year. She was tweeting about how like these kinds of like 90s sort of sweaters are making a comeback. And she posted this one from Madewell. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. And normally I, when I get these type of like cardigan things, this is also a fashion podcast now, didn't you know? When I get these cardigan buttony type things, I typically would get like my normal size, which is usually a medium and tops. Forgive the weird outside background slapping noise. I don't know what's going on. Anyways, I typically am like a medium large, but like lately I've been wanting a large for more oversized things and like my boobs, of course, like prevent things like these buttons from really being like manageable. However, that all being said, this is like a loose enough fitting. This is a size large. If you're interested, I believe it is called the Grayson sweater on Madewell. When I first saw it, there was like no sizes available. Then I happened to check again because I also get obsessive about that once I fixate on something I want and it's out of stock, but there's the possibility of it coming back into stock. You better believe your girl is refreshing multiple times a day. That all being said, I found this in my size large. I'm glad I got like the slightly larger size than I would normally get versus like a medium, which is more of like my true size because it is slightly oversized, which allows it to remain buttoned. That was the, the point of my story is typically in these like buttony sweater things, I wear them unbuttoned because I get a medium, but then when I find them actually buttoned together, it like doesn't really work. But I love the versatility of this because it is loose enough to like be a sweater with the buttons without it gaping, but without it being like too big. And I can unbutton it. And like, what is going on in the alley? Like, are you playing like a one-sided version of ping pong? I don't know. 
But without further ado, um, oh, anything else before I get started? Um, I know you have been teasing it. I know you're waiting for it. The Tony Magistrali interview, the return of Tony is coming soon. We are talking about the illustrations of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, I think last time I was recording, I hadn't read yet the book. At the time of recording this time, I can say I have read the book. I have a ton of questions and notes and things to talk about with Tony. Uh, not only am I excited to catch up with him because believe it or not, it has been I think a year, basically a year since he's been on the show, which is freaking crazy. Um, so we are recording that a week from Sunday, but in podcast time, everything's like a little off. So this, I think, will still be coming out before the Tony episode. And then I believe that the one like I record after this, but still before the Tony one will come out retroactively. That all being said, if you're listening to this and it hasn't come out yet, please stay tuned for fans of academia, cool people, because I think Tony is cool and maybe I'm looping myself in there. Who knows? Um... Edgar Allan Poe, all things gothic. We talk, there's also a lot about art history, which I personally did not know. There's a lot about um, illustrators and what it means to be an illustrator and the uh, sort of the psychology and the, um, what's the word, like the theory behind illustration. So all of that and more will be explored coming soon. But without further ado, let's get started with this week's five books that I'm here to tell you about. The first one, which I teased on last week's episode, is Half Sick of Shadows by Laura Sebastian. So this is a retelling of the Arthurian legends from the Lady of Shallot's point of view. And I have to say, as someone who is, I would say, like an intermediate in the Arthurian legends, I took a class, a, a seminar in college on Arthurian legends. I know, obviously, I was a lot younger when I first was exposed to them and definitely like spent a lot of time in my grammar school, maybe middle school days, like exploring the Arthurian legends have always been drawn to the ideas of like Camelot and King Arthur in their various forms. Um, but the Lady of Shallot is someone that I personally was not as familiar with. And I think that's what the author, Laura Sebastian, is really trying to encapsulate with her new retelling. She gives this character Eleanor. And so I think the Lady of Shallot is most commonly known to the public who is not me, who's probably, you're probably already familiar with them, the Alfred Tennyson poem slat I think it is that uh references her and so she's always like been known as more of like a tragic side figure in history and so Laura Sebastian is really seeking to give her not only to give the Arthurian legend its own retelling but to give her her own retelling and her own agency and through that the characters um as we know them and sort of their archetypal ways are very different um this sort of reimagining leads up to Arthur becoming king and his quest to become king. So he's more of like the goofy, childish Arthur that we know. Um, his sister Morgana is best friends with the young woman Elaine. Elaine has always had this touch of mysticism about her. So there's a lot of commentary on the divide between those who are the fae and those who have the magical powers and those who are sort of the normals and those who don't. Um, so Elaine is sort of outcasted from her family in Shallot. She goes to Avalon, the, the land of Avalon. Avalon has been explored in many different myths. I think this is a really cool retelling of it as a, it's not so much like the Timescura, like Wonder Woman safe space island, but like a little bit of those vibes, but also with the acknowledgement that it's not perfect. It almost makes me think more of like a Lucasfilm, LucasArts Monkey Island type game where like it seems all really fun and perfect and colorful on the surface, but there's a lot of hidden uh, secrets and treachery and things that are maybe a little bit darker than they seem on the surface, but like with this pure hearted goodness, like fighting that evil. Um, so the character of Morgana, who is commonly known as Arthur's half sister, is really well explored. Lancelot and Guinevere, I don't want to give too much away. Of course, they are prominent figures in the story and the way that they are imagined, particularly Guinevere as, you know, owning her female agency. We typically know her sort of just as Arthur's sidekick and we don't know a ton about her. I know that there have been some more, you know, like 
quote unquote feminist retellings. But I think that this is a really uh, cool, I, I say cool in the sense too, because it's, it's different than a lot of things that you would expect. I think there have been a lot of young adults um, Arthurian myth retellings or some more, you know, mass market, maybe not as sort of highbrow intellectual retellings, although how you could have something King Arthurian that's not highbrow is like, you know, it's highbrow in itself. So it's a lot more about the individual sacrifices and the choices that the people in the legend made. Not only does it exist as a story in the larger scheme of things, bringing light and bringing a voice to this character who is you know, only been looked at a few different ways in mythology, but she's really reshaping this entire, these these archetypes and these characters as we know them. It's coming off of the, I read it, I think, right before or right, <laughs> right after, I think I saw it, time is amorphous. Um, lots of things are amorphous. Read it right after I saw The Green Knight, which is another retelling and re-envisioning of a classic story, which is already so beautiful and poetic and mythological in itself. So if you're interested in mythology, it does get a little bit dark. There is definitely some um, mental health issues explored in this, but nothing that is too um, traumatic. And I would say that as someone who speaks from mental health, uh, from dealing with mental health. So if you're interested in fantasy, if you're interested in retelling of Arthurian legends, if you're just interested in cool female characters, and if you're interested in the idea of taking, whether or not, you know, even if you're not so much a fantasy person, just the idea of taking everyone knows, excuse me, King Arthur and pulling the sword from the stone and they all know the basics. And so playing with their ideas of perception and reality as we know it can all be found in Half Sake of Shadows. And next we have After Parties, stories by Anthony Veazna So. And this one is particularly sad to talk about because the author actually just passed away a couple of months, I believe, if not sooner, before this book was published. I had a hold on this book at the library before he even passed away. I don't think I was even really aware that he passed away until I read this article on Vulture slash the New York the New Yorker, and it was about his tragic death, which I think as of, as of right now is just sort of like an accidental overdose, um, but he was poised, you know, to be this literary genius. Anthony has an incredible way with words. He has an incredible way of looking at the world, which is so evident in this story. And it really just shows like a writer who had such promise. Of course, it's sad and tragic when someone dies young, accidentally, no matter what, but just knowing that he didn't even, it's sort of like when I think Jonathan Larson, the creator of Rent, passed away like right before this the show came out on Broadway. And so it's sort of like you were, you know, he's clearly been put so much blood, sweat, and tears into this. This was not just a collection of short stories, but also sort of his first foray into like having an actual book out into the world. A lot of these stories have been previously published in other places. He does have a background in publishing and writing um, in publishing in the sense of having his works out in public, but not in this sort of complete story. Of course, it's fantastic whenever, whenever anyone's publishing a book, let alone their first one, and to have it come so soon... Um, you know, of course, they couldn't have timed it. I, I doubt it was, you know, it wasn't like a suicide or he didn't kill himself, at least to my knowledge or to the knowledge of the story. But there's a lot of details that are murky. It seems like the person that he was with his partner is not the same person that he was with his family, which is a story as old as time. And also a theme that's kind of explored in the stories of after parties. So Anthony is the child of Cambodian immigrants. So all the characters in this collection of stories are in one way or another Cambodian American and the way that their identity is perceived and different cultural norms are just explored with a dark humor and just with a sardonic wit that especially from someone who is not even 30 is just so, you know, he's clearly seen a lot and been through a lot. I really recommend 
you know, checking out that article even before, after you've read that, just so you can really get to know more about Anthony and his life. I think reading that before I read this story, I mean, now you know that he's no longer with us, but also knowing more about his rich past and just his his hopes and future and dreams and the other connections that tethered him to this world that are still living on and celebrating this collection of stories is really beautiful. Um, the opening novel, I'm sorry, <laughs> the opening short story was called Chuck's Donuts. And that is sort of plays with our idea of what like a time tiny little thriller in our perception that exists in this don't this in this donut shop there's two young girls who work or two teenage girls who work with their mother um and what seems you know there's i don't want to say there's a lot i think there's you know a decent amount of stories of people who are new to this country and there's you know centered in sort of a still life or a vignette of them working in a sort of uh you know establishment you know whether that's a mechanic or they own a pharmacy or a bakery or whatever we get to see a snapshot not only into their lives but also into like the daily lives of the customers this one has a little spin i won't give away any spoilers um but it's you know what starts out as a thriller and starts out as a question again becomes much more about the journey than the destination um, there's just a lot of insight into what it means to be queer as well. Um, Vesana himself was out and gay and leaves behind a partner. I can't even imagine the tragedy of that. I keep talking about the tragedy and I'm sure, you know, I don't know Anthony personally, <laughs> whether or not he had been alive at the time of publishing, but I know that the best way to honor his life and his legacy would be to pick up this collection of short stories. It also reads really, really quickly. It's under 300 pages. Each story itself, again, is this contained little universe and the way that he's able to squeeze in all these nuances and little cultural uh, droplets is just, you know, really fantastic. So this is a great one. For the short story lovers, for those who enjoy a really rich world captured in just a few pages. And for those who want to explore the queer Cambodian communities and, you know, don't necessarily want to read another book about cisgendered white men, this one's for you. Speaking of cisgendered white men, there are a few in this book, but I'm going to, you know, they're at least, it it makes more sense in the context of this book because our next book is called We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang. So yes, this deals with um, some people who are immigrants, but also these are Irish Catholic Americans. They have lived in America for quite a while. They live um, in upstate New York. It starts out with, um, I was a little confused, and I think that's what the novel intends. Again, y'all know that I don't really read descriptions too much going into the novel. So I was like, where is this going? Huh? Where are we going to take? And um, I knew it was some sort of like family drama, family coming together, reigniting past sins whatnot so we start out with our main uh we have three siblings who have grown up are very tightly knit and close together um there is a tragedy an enticing inciting event that happens to one of the sisters sunday and that kind of forces her to leave her life behind in new york and leave this close-knit community and family and leave, leave to los angeles and she is drawn back to new york and once she is drawn back into the family she's drawn back to her ex-husband slash lover She's drawn back into, you know, confronting the death of her mother and confronting her relationships with her siblings and other things that she left behind and lost dreams. And so there's a lot, of, you know, I love a multi-perspective novel. Y'all know, I think we get to know the different members of this family. Of course, we are the Brennans. The overarching umbrella is the Brennan family and this drama, you know, I say drama and I, I mean that in the sense of like, we are just revisiting the lives of this family and the things that happen to them could easily happen to anybody else. Um, there are, of course, you know, the things that make an, a book interesting. There is infidelity, there is financial secrets, there is a, excuse me, there is, 
a sort of blackmailing plot, but all of it further serves to highlight the different members of this family and how they deal with different events. Um, Goodreads recommends it for those who uh, enjoyed Ask Again, Yes, and The Nest, both both of which I believe I may have talked about on the podcast, but if you're fans of Mary Beth Keene or Cynthia Diapri Sweeney, both of who I think at least Cynthia Diapri Sweeney I've talked about before on the show, then check out We Are the Brennans. Pivoting a little bit to the true thriller genre, we have False Witness by Karen Slaughter. I've definitely mentioned Karen Slaughter on the podcast before. I mean, she just continues to astound me. I I think when, you know, she, I want to call her the queen, the genius of uh, literary detective novels. And she just has this really great way of making individual stories come alive, maintaining the thriller element, keeping those twists and plots and turns while also making them like family drama. So like it has the elements of We Are the Brennans. Of course, there's like a little bit of procedural element to them, but especially with her more individual novels. I know she also has like serialized detective or series of detective novels. These more uh, standalone novels really become these character studies and these family dramas. So this one deals with these two sisters, Lee and I'm blank on the other Lee and Callie. And Lee and Callie, it's no surprise. I'm going to give away a little spoiler. They are forever united by a murder that um, when they are teenage girls, circumstances lead them to murder this man. And that murder sticks with them and haunts them. We then meet them in present day. And it turns out that this, the guy that they murdered, his son, is now being accused of a bunch of different rape cases. And it turns out that Lee is going to become his defense attorney. So... Through that, there's a bunch of twists and turns. It plays with our notion of what it means to be a sister, what it means to maintain a relationship, what it means to carry this burden with you. I mean, the meta, the the murder itself is explored in a lot of details and becomes this inciting incident that sets these sisters off on these separate paths, but also forever tying them together. Um, I found it really interesting because it was also set during COVID, and I read the author's note after that she really wanted it to resonate. One of uh, actually, both of the characters have had COVID, and it sort of takes place in the middle slash tail end of what we hope would be the end of at least, you know, this pandemic before hopefully not, but who knows, the Delta variant makes things spin out of control. That all being said, it's a study. It's not, you know, it has, it, this book has everything, you know, it has the murder mystery who done it. It has the, you know, who is, there's also other murders that happen throughout the book. There's other things happening. There's character motivations that you're questioning throughout. There ultimately is this, like, these sisters both have this burden with them, but the way that they deal with it and the way that the way, the way, the way, the way that these past demons come up and haunt them, then, like, forces them together and pulls them apart. And I keep saying that, but I just found it, despite, you know, some of the elements, of course, because it's a thriller, because it does have these more procedural elements, a little fantastical, but it, it, again, everything does make sense. For the most part, everything is practical and nothing too outlandish and really just shatters, um, shatters. <laughs> I'm reading the Goodreads uh, words and I'm like, oh, shattered. Um, so if you're into thrillers, if you're into character studies, if you're into just really great writing and developed characters and an almost cinematic feel, and I mean, you know, this book was almost 500 pages, but I think I read it maybe a day and a half because I just was so immersed in the story. It keeps going, twists and turns that don't feel gratuitous, um, both in the relationship and in the mystery and just cannot say enough good things about the false witness. And last, but certainly not certainly not least, we have Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead by Emily R. Austin. 
I think that this book was a really, really fantastic portrayal of what it is like to live with anxiety. This book is definitely, you know, if you have really intense ruminating thoughts, if you tend to fixate on things, I personally do not dwell on the idea of death and the idea of tragedy so much as our main character, Gilda. She is very steeped in the idea, you know, as the title states, that everybody has one life to live and that life can be spilled, you know, some people take, you know, live in the moment and the idea that life can be ended at any moment, they take that to mean like live life to the fullest. And for her, it's like that contrast of like wanting to live life to the fullest while fighting this deep anxiety. We get to know her inner thoughts as she accidentally ends up working for a Catholic church, which is um, funny a little bit in itself, but she's also just an atheist lesbian, but she's too anxious and too inside her own mind to get out of that. So through that, not only is it like a wacky situation, but she becomes excuse me, inadvertently twisted in her old old coworker, or the woman whose job she replaced um, in her death. And while it has those like, again, thriller moments, it's really just much more about like what it is like to live as a person in this world with anxiety, really trying your best and like understanding that these thoughts are maybe not rational and these behaviors are not rational, but like there's only so much you can do. There's a lot of times where she, it's really hard because she, she goes to the emergency room a lot, the way that she deals with her anxiety. Of course, you know, everyone deals with it differently. She just doesn't have the best support system. Um, there's a, you know, a decent amount explored with her parents and her brother. And it's, it's pretty clear where a lot of these problems definitely come from. And I think it's really hard not to just like reach out and just like want her to talk to someone in a healthy way and deal with these behaviors in a slightly healthier way. Um, but I think it's really broken and fractured, but ultimately uplifting in a weird way. Um, and again, just another really quick, poignant read for anybody who feels like taking a trip into somebody else's mind. And it also made me feel a little bit better about my anxiety. I was like, well, at least I don't think about death that much. So that being said, with you and all your anxieties and your alibis and your other A words that I tried to think of a title, I hope you have a wonderful week. Follow me on all the social media platforms. Leave me a five-star review on iTunes. Leave me a text review if you can, like an actual written review. I would love you forever. Let me know what you're reading, and until next time, stay reading. Bye.